trust for the connections on all those other levels if we hold them back whilst letting go on the sexual drive we will become disordered in our relationship it will be imbalanced I, I can't think of, of anywhere where I am more physically vulnerable than in the act of sex man and woman together are so physically vulnerable and God has ordained that to match that physical vulnerability all other vulnerabilities should be commensurate an emotional vulnerability, an intellectual vulnerability, the marriage service all that I am I share with you all that I have I give to you within the love of God Father, Son, Holy Spirit that's how God has ordained it protected by covenant love which the Bible understands in this context to be marriage. Covenant love, protecting the vulnerabilities, all keeping pace with each other. That's why I don't just go off and have sex with a prostitute, because one is going out of all kilter to the others. And I, I, I will become so disordered that it will, if I practice, if I continue that, that practice, it will inhibit my ability to make good, healthy, one flesh connections. One is out of kilter with all the others that's why Paul says flee from sexual immorality let me share here with my wife's permission um, we by the grace of God we were we didn't we hadn't had sex before we got married that wasn't the easiest thing but I'm by the grace of God that's where we were and we got married. Here's one of the myths, as a married person, maybe I can dispel for a number of you perhaps who are single, that the, the, the struggles and the wrestles with sex um, are pre-marriage in kind of abstinence and holding off. And, uh, and then when you're married, oh, fantastic. Sex on tap. <laughs> now, in, well, in practice, that's not quite true. You've got to do the shopping and all that kind of thing. But in theory, at least. But uh, Joe and I found the first few years of our sexual relationship quite tough. Uh, it, it, we'd watched maybe one too many Hollywood films and swallowed the whole myth, and we found that that element of our relationship was actually diff very difficult at times. And I am so grateful for the covenant embrace of marriage. Holding me, I felt incredibly vulnerable. We, we both felt incredibly vulnerable at times in that area. And I'm so glad that I knew I had the commitment of her and the faithfulness of her and the trust of her and the understanding of her and vice versa. We were able to be held by the covenant of marriage whilst we worked through some difficulties. I praise God for the way in which he's created sex within marriage. And, and that's the call that he makes on all uh, Christian men and women. You say, well, Tim, you know, isn't that a bit restrictive? I mean, what if we really love each other? We really, really love each other. What should we do? Well, from my experience, I would say, get married. Get married. If you really love each other and you want to express that sexually, then indicate your commitment in all other areas and, and enter into the covenant that will hold you through the tough times and the difficult times as well as all the good times so that you can be free to enjoy the sex that God intended for you to have 
Authentic freedom is not liberty to indulge. Authentic freedom is the liberty from compulsion to indulge. Sometimes restraint is good for us. Just on sex and marriage, very briefly, chapter 7, just over the page, it, Paul goes on to talk about sort of um, husbands, wives, that kind of thing. Uh, just here, verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. That may sound... I don't know how that sounds to you, but this next bit is quite radical for first century Greek. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Paul is alluding here to the covenant love and sacrifice of marriage. In other words, the wife's body is not just hers, it belongs to her husband, and the husband's body is not just his, it belongs to the wife. They belong to each other within the security and the covenant of marriage. And that is where sex belongs. Sex belongs in marriage and is protected by that marriage and is able to flourish through it. It's where all the different vulnerabilities are safe to flourish together. Ironically, it's in our vulnerability that we grow strong. That's why the Bible reserves sex for marriage and speaks against, in uh, Old Testament texts and here uh, and elsewhere in the New Testament, against sex outside of marriage. I want to suggest, and you may disagree, there's maybe many things I've said tonight that you may uh, take issue with and disagree with me on, but I want to suggest that there's an element of God's truth that's sitting on us now. The kind of the kind of stillness and the silence is in a sense an act of worship and the issue isn't so much that you don't recognize the truth or even don't accept the truth the issue for us all is how we will live out this truth it's the practical implications which I recognize for some of us may be quite challenging or quite testing right now I'm coming into land with one or two practical things just from tonight and then we'll carry on with the practical things uh, uh, tomorrow. Uh, it's with a vision for us, if I can. Just back in chapter 6. Uh, and verse... Um, the end of verse 13. Uh, where Paul says, The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Again, indicating that we're created for greater things than just whatever fulfillment we can find in our human relationships. And look at verse 19 and 20 at the end there. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Honour God with your bodies. With your lives. That's what we're about, isn't it? That's what we, why we come here to sing, to pray, to support one another, so that we might honour God in, in, a, in a world that does not know what that looks like, particularly in this whole sexual realm. It's kind of, sex is just a commodity. It's my right. And we want to live differently by honouring God with our bodies and honouring one another. 
Christopher West, who's, who's a Catholic theologian who's written loads of amazing stuff on, uh, well, actually, sort of interpreted John Paul II's um, theology of the body. I, if you can get hold of it, I really recommend it. He's kind of written the dummy's guide to it. Uh, just how we understand how and why we're made in the way that we are to express ourselves sexually as God-honoring and glorifying to him. It's an extraordinary theology, and I, uh, it's kind of transformed the way in which I uh, have understood uh, the Christian response or the Christian sort of uh, understanding of sex, if you like. Um, and Christopher West, he says this, we only rail against those rules we desire to break. We only, we only sort of push or rail against those rules that deep down we desire to break. Do I need a rule that says, do not murder Joe, my wife? No, I don't need that rule because I have no desire to murder her. I don't need the rule. I only need rules where deep down I've got a desire, I'm railing against what is actually intended. And it's not a shift in the Christian sexual ethic that we need in this day and age. It's a shift in our desire to live by it and to know the release and the freedom that comes from that so that we can be God-honoring to the world around. Now look, just one or two practical things as I finish. Um, I, I, you don't often hear this. Things I'm going to say that, um, uh, I don't know, I'm just being recorded here, I don't know who's going to pick this up and, and what they'll think. In one sense, I don't really care. I'm going to say it. Abstinence is good for us. You don't have to indulge every appetite. It's perfectly possible to live a totally fulfilled human life as celibate. Jesus Christ. Also, the conservative evangelicals, John Stott. That was meant to be a joke, but anyway, never mind. <laughs> no, it's just that I, I, I just, sorry, just on that, I heard of a conference where they said, you know, there is, there is someone, isn't there? There is someone that we know. John Stott was kind of a hero of the Evangelicals. There is someone that we know, and he, you know, despite temptation, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's lived a single life, a celibate life, and, you know, he was absolutely fulfilled and so on. And they went, oh, yes, of course. And the answer was meant to be Jesus. They went, yes, John Stott. I went, no. <laughs> Yeah, keep going. That still wasn't funny, was it? Yeah, move, move on. I, I've tried out, I tried out most of this talk over lunch. With, I, I had teenage kids, I had my wife. That one slipped through the net. I'm really sorry. Here's the thing on abstinence. I just encourage you to view it like a diet rather than starvation. I, I choose to go on a diet, uh, whereas starvation is something that's imposed upon me. And I think, the, I think the difference is about empowerment here. If I, if I choose, this is the path I'm going to take. I'm going to abstain. I'm going to go on a, on a fast. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, let's say, a relationship fast for a while. Just while I work this out or sort this out. I'm, or if I'm in a relationship, we're going to go on whatever boundary you set. A, a, a sexual, physical fast of some sort. It's no bad thing. Deferred gratification, it grows something in us. But, you know, I'm in control of a diet, whereas if I'm starved, I'm, uh, you know, I begin to wallow into self-pity. And, and that's, we want to avoid that. So, a positive, a desiring the best for God through practicing abstinence, it's possible. So Joe and I, before we were um, married, um, we were going out and we both enjoy um, climbing, we both enjoy hill walking, and so, and you know, sometimes we'd um, maybe two or three days out walking, and so we'd, you know, we'd be out overnight. And in the, in the middle of a mountain, um, on your own, no one else around, 
you know, where, where's the accountability there? And so uh, what we did is we took bivy bags. We didn't sleep in a tent. Because uh, I, I don't know if you know, bivy bags are these, you put your sleeping bag inside this kind of great big sack and you kind of zip it up. It's, it's like a massive great condom, basically. <laughs> All I'm saying is it works. designed to honour God with our bodies. Can I, I, I shared this with, uh, and again, uh, I, I don't know what you make of this, but I, I shared this with the, the men a little while ago, but I, I offer this to you, and I don't think I'd say this everywhere, but I'm just conscious that I'm, I'm double most of your age. And when I was your age, when I was 25, let's say, I thought that um, basically sex was just amazing it would be amazing when you know when the time comes it'll be absolutely amazing in my 20s I'm young fit healthy it's gonna be amazing in my 30s yeah I, I imagine there'll be s some sex occasionally but by the time you hit 40 you know the, all the whole sort of midlife crisis thing I imagined when I was 25 or 40 maybe I don't know on my birthday perhaps um, <laughs> 50 50 sex at 50 are you serious? I kind of, I just imagined nothing would function. It would just... Without getting too gaudy about it, I just celebrated my 50th birthday the other day. And well, I think back to, I shared earlier about the first few years of... Um, sex within our marriage and I compare it to sex in our marriage now and nothing compares sex gets better and better and better and I just it's a little subtle lie of the enemy says you've got to get it now get it now because when you're 30 or 40 who knows so we, we panic <laughs> I need to get sex now <laughs> you, I know it's I know I, I honestly I recognize it's easy for me to say but promise from my perspective take it from me you don't and sex actually gets within a committed covenant relationship with all the caveats. Just sex as God intended, sex gets better and better and better and better. So kind of the long-term view, if it just helps to take some of the intensity from where some of us may be right now. And finally, to, to practice in this desiring, honouring God with our bodies, to practice honouring one another. If I can say to the, to the guys here, as a general rule, it, it, it applies to both, but as a guy, can I speak to the guys? Practice seeing women, not looking at them. There's a verse in, in 2 Corinthians that says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3. In other words, Jesus in us is growing in us ever more and more beautiful, wonderful. Actually, this is for each of us, men to women, women to men. Why, why don't we just determine to be a community where we look to call forth Christ's beauty? Yes, there are good looks, guns, six-packs, um, just you girls, you, you all look stunning. But actually, it, it's in a sense seeing through the looks to the beauty. 
and calling forth the beauty. It isn't immediately apparent. That's why, you know, we need to take time prayerfully to see it and to encourage it, to nurture it, to call it out. Learn to see the beauty in one another. And all of that as we wrestle with this together so that we as a community can be a God-honoring community, radically countercultural to the world around us. We can point people to God through our attitude to one another and particularly within the whole realm of sex. And in a sex-saturated culture, we can begin to point people to God. To God be the glory. Amen.